Turn in your Bibles to the book of James. We're being challenged by this book. Last week was most of chapter 1, just a few verses remaining in that chapter that are going to be incorporated over the next few weeks. And what we're going to see out of key verses from verse 14 through verse 20 in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. And over the next few weeks from this passage, I pray that the Spirit of God would move us until we are ready to express a radical commitment to a radical initiative that I'm going to call us as a church to fulfill. Along the way, as, as a pastor, you will get a leading in your heart of the Holy Spirit. For months now, I've had a leading in my heart from this passage, and I'm going to introduce it in a general sense this morning and become more detailed in that initiative over the next few weeks until we are all on the same page with what I believe the Spirit is calling us to do, where you will have an opportunity to express your heart and your commitment in how, the, how God is landing this in your heart. James chapter 2, let's be in our reading at verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the power, clarity, simplicity, and impact of your word. Your word spoken through James. I pray, God, that it will alter the way we see ourselves, the way we see you, the way we see the future. I pray for transformation in our thinking and through us as a faith family as we study this passage over the weeks to come. Help us. Encourage us by this. May there be just a realization of the grace capacity within us to bring to bear good and justice and help to the world around us. Lord, as the world around us grows darker in its confusion and sin, may we shine brighter in our intentional Christianity. May our faith be followed through by works, not works that save us, but works that are the natural overflow from the fact that we are saved. I pray this in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated, and God bless you. I am looking at the book of James, especially these first couple of chapters in taking the life of Joseph as an example, 
we saw how in the life of Joseph that God gave him a dream. His brothers rejected him and placed him in the pit. From the pit, he was sold into slavery. These are seasons of his life. From slavery, he goes to Potiphar's house. From Potiphar's house, he is falsely accused. From that false accusation, he is placed in prison and then ultimately promoted to second in command of the nation, which was the dream that God had given him. We took a look at his life and saw that in the flow of his life, we see that God giving him a dream was, if you were here last week, what does that P stand for? It was what? (laughs) I love you. I just love you. Positive. Which would make the pit what? Negative. Slavery. Now, when he goes to Potiphar's house, there's, there's a level of freedom and success. He is put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. And so we would see that as positive. Then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. That was negative. Then he's put in prison. Negative. Ultimately promoted to second in command. And that would be So we looked at the flow of his life. You have a positive, negative, negative, positive, negative, negative, positive. We looked at the rhythm, and we were challenged in how we see trouble because James chapter 1 is all about seeing trouble under the sovereignty of God that even in trouble, God is working his purposes. And if we don't see that and make God as our goal rather than comfort, that if we don't have our passion to be like Christ, then we may pursue in this American version of Christianity, we may pursue comfort and misinterpret the trouble of life and start judging God to be unfair rather than a God who is sovereign, who never promised us comfort, but promised that if we love him, he would change us from glory to glory and that often our strength comes through the strain of life that we don't grow always and all times by good things, that to every life there must come some trouble. But because God is still sovereign, even in the trouble, he can work his purpose. So if you looked at your life, you would probably see some kind of rhythm of positive and negative and positive and negative or negative and negative. You may be in one of these seasons right now, and if we don't properly, biblically interpret life, then we can never embrace Romans 8, 28 that says all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord who are the called according to his purposes. Remember French silk pie. Each individual ingredient in and of themselves is not good. If you just tried to to take in the raw eggs or the stick of butter or just the cocoa or just the sugar in and of themselves, they are not good but put them all together. Heat them up over a period of time and you end up with something that is awesome. So in the sovereignty of God, the good and the bad, the good and the bad, this is good, this is bad, it becomes a way to process. This lady walks into her beautician and she says, I got married. And the beautician said, good. She says, no, it's bad. He's mean. She said, that's bad. Well, he is rich. That's good. 
No, it's bad. He won't let me spend any of it. Oh, that's bad. But he did build me a huge house. Oh, that's good, the lady said. No, it's, it's bad. It burned down. Oh, that's bad. No, she said, that's good because he was in it. Oh, that's good. See, in, in the process, good, bad, what's, you learn how to process when you see. Listen to this word from Philippians. He that began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And he will use the seasons of life the situations of life, the positives and the negatives. Matter of fact, in math, I believe two negatives make a... Oh, there is a work of a sovereign God through our trouble to bring about his purposes. Now, I have another thought about trouble that I want to give you. I think it's important. I think it fits right here because no one would have chosen this path. No one would have chosen... The life that Joseph had, that's not what he expected when God gave him the dream. That he would announce the dream and those closest to him would reject him. Rejection is tough. He was rejected and placed in a pit. And as you look through his life, there is this ongoing rejection. I am going to be bold enough to say to you today, under the sovereignty of God, when you're living for God... Even rejection becomes direction. Rejection becomes direction. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis. I want us to go to Genesis 45. Genesis 45, and I want you to see a verse. There's major drama that is happening in Genesis 45. This is where Joseph's brothers have come in their starving condition, needing food, trying to survive... And they don't know that it's Joseph, their brother, who they placed in a pit, who is now the man who had the plan and put it into operation so that there would be provision for the nation. Here they are asking food from this man, not knowing it's their brother. High drama, amazing story. I encourage you to read it. But I want to focus your attention at verse 5. Once they know it's Joseph, Joseph says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Can you imagine that moment for those brothers? But notice what Joseph says. Don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves. Now watch and listen to the wording. This is the New Living Translation. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. He doesn't say slavery. For selling me to this place. Don't be upset with yourselves for selling me to this place. Continue. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Your rejection was my direction. Walt Disney was in Manhattan meeting with a group of lawyers. He had a sizable company and through contractual loopholes he lost the entire company. He lost his artists. He gets on a train, travels from Manhattan back to his home in Hollywood. He is at his lowest moment of his life and on that train just sitting there looking at an 
a blank sheet of paper, out of his head popped Mickey Mouse. And it was on that train ride that he drew Mickey Mouse, and he says, at the moment of my greatest rejection came my greatest direction. Joseph said, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. And I want to read it again. This is when God is your goal and when transformation is the goal. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Joseph models for us what it is to manage trouble and even temptation. James chapter 1 is all about trouble and temptation and then finally truth. Joseph had the truth of God over his life, that there was a destiny and a plan. Joseph understood that God was the goal and he properly, by God's help, managed the trouble and the temptation and all of it was put into the mixture and ingredients of his life for God's plan to be realized so that Joseph would look at his brothers and say, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place, for your rejection was my direction. If you've ever been rejected, and all of us in this room, we've been rejected, you know how insecurity tries to attack and set up in your heart. You know how defeat tries to set up in your heart, how that demoralized attitude and mindset because you've been rejected and you want to throw in the towel you want to give up and say where's God and why is this happening to me and yet I am saying to you that under a sovereign God when you're living for God even rejection becomes direction if a relationship crumbles if a job closes I want to tell you rejection becomes your direction he that has started a good work in you is faithful and he is faithful to complete it the economy current circumstances job relationships or physical health do not stop the sovereign plan of God circumstance can't stop it the devil can't stop it other people can't stop it God is faithful to complete what he has started that's good news today for those who are walking the process. Now, James chapter 2, what does it have to do with the life of Joseph? God brings Joseph to a moment where he's going to need to be at his best. People's lives were hanging in the balance. If Satan has his way with you and me, through the process, when we come to our moment, we will be bitter, angry, frustrated, so confused that we're at our worst. When God needs us and the world needs us at our best. If I don't manage trouble under the sovereignty of God and make God as my goal and not comfort then I will end up at my moment closed off, withdrawn, 
isolated, saying, no one will hurt me again. At the moment where God needs me to be at my most merciful, even under the sovereignty of God, you learn to see people that are difficult, not as pirates, to take from you, but as promoters. The cupbearer is in prison with Joseph, and he says to Joseph, if you could help me out, I'll get freed up from prison, I'll remember you, and then you'll get out of prison. Joseph helps the, the butler, and he completely forgets him. Now, a couple of years later, when the butler comes back into prison to find Joseph to seek help, if Joseph hadn't managed his heart under the, the sovereignty of God, he's going to be so angry that the last thing he would do is help that man. That man was a pirate. That man took from Joseph. He forgot Joseph. He betrayed his trust. Think of the drama moment where Joseph's brothers are standing in front of him and they are starving. And Joseph could have said, now I'll get my revenge. He didn't see them as those who had taken from him. He said, God used you to get me here so that then I could be used to preserve your life. My God. The world is at its worst right now. And God desperately needs his church to be at her best. And through what we've been through in the seasons of church life, the enemy would like to produce a church, and now we're to James 2, of useless faith. Dead faith. Inactive where we go to church instead of being the church. Where we follow through religious tradition, but we lose our missional, merciful expression of Christ to the community and to the world. The reason I'm going to preach this to you is because I believe God has brought us all through a test. I believe this could be said of your life personally, my life, and our life as a faith family. And we've come through a test, and now here we are at a major moment. It's our moment. And now we have seen the sovereignty of God through the process is going to have everything to do with how we express our heart to God and to people in our moment. James 2.14 says, my dear brothers and sisters, faith without action doesn't help anyone. Do you see how through what Joseph went through, he could have ended up useless? That his emotions could have been flatlined through what he had experienced? The last thing he could have been was merciful, helpful, loving, generous, 
Listen to the words of Joseph. He says to his brothers, Living where you are, you will starve. All your livestock will die. The entire family will be dead. You go home to dad, and you get everything, and you get everybody, and you come back to me. I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to give you food. We have five more years of this famine, and I'm going to take care of you. At the same time, he had a national, international crisis. But for the man who manages the process under the sovereignty of God, that is the man who's going to get a plan and have the energy to work the plan. And here you have Joseph at his best when the world was at its worst. Hear this in your heart. The devil would love for us to lock up and lock down and just try to survive until the rapture. Rather than with the world at its worst, we would be at our best, most merciful attitude with the greatest spirit of generosity and lavish love ready to be poured out like rivers on our community and our world so that in the end times, we would happen to the end times and the end times would not happen to us. Hear this at the personal level. Hear this at the corporate level. Joseph managed a local expression of the love and provision of God. Joseph managed a global expression of the love and the provision of God. There are many ways to see James 2, and we're going to talk about it for three weeks and see it from different angles. Here's what I'm presenting in the flow of the context. In chapter 1, it's about trouble, temptation, and truth. If we don't manage that well, then we end up with a faith that is in word but not deed. Now let me put up a few statements. Let's put up the first statement, if you will, on the screen. Faith in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives. That's what James 2, 14 through 20 is about. It's that truth said in many different ways. Faith leads to a fruitful, effective life. Next statement. Acts of mercy are not means to salvation. Don't confuse that. I look forward to putting what Paul says, that we're not saved by works, right up by what James says, when he says faith without works is dead. Who's right? They're both right. You've got to see the context in which we're talking. We'll deal with that. Next statement. Acts of mercy are the natural overflow of salvation. Here's the way I want you to see it. This is what I think God is saying. When we have God as our goal, we come through the negative seasons of life, the positive, the negative, and back to the positive. And when we're at our moment... When we come to this moment, because we've managed it, we have understood the grace of God even in our suffering. It's easy to see the grace of God in the good times, but what I'm saying is that we'll even experience the grace of God in the tough times. He's promised us so that when we come to our moment, acts of mercy will be the natural that's the key. The natural overflow. What I'm about to show you about our world is not to 
to touch the guilt side so that we are made to feel so guilty that we respond. No, no, no. But that we see the grace of God until acts of mercy and generosity are the natural overflow of the great grace we have received. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. But for God, who was on my side, where would I be? In the negative season, he was there. In the positive season, he was there. And I'm here today with the words of Paul. By the grace of God, I am who I am. By the grace of God, I am where I am. By the grace of God, I have what I have. It's all grace, and so now acts of mercy are the natural overflow. Not the means to my salvation. The overflow of my salvation. Next statement. Deedless faith is useless faith. If we become followers of Christ without action, then it's useless. Useless. John would say in the Revelation to the church that had the reputation of life that was now dead, he said, you need to come back to life. You can see such a teaching of James in all of the seven churches if they would recover their first love. Oh, the I love you, I love you, I love you, which is the only response to a God who's been so loving. And then the suffering church that learned that even in their suffering, God is faithful. Then we never have to end up dead or useless, ineffective, hurt or bitter. The devil wanted Joseph in such bitterness at this moment that he would be of no value to the world. God is Jehovah frugal. He never wastes an experience. He was there when he gave you the dream. He was there in the pit and the downturn. He was there. He was gracious. He was even good. And now you and us, we have come to our moment. Let's be at our best. Give him a praise today if you're ready to be at your best. Joseph managed this local global opportunity of his life. I want out of this text and of the call of the the Spirit of God upon us, to us, to be a summons to a radical initiative. So if the world's at its worst and we are to be at our best, we've got to express our highest and our best. And I'm going to call you to that expression out of this text. Let me show you a number on the screen. 26,000. That is the number of children that will die today from starvation or preventable disease. 26,000 children die every day from starvation and preventable disease. Let me try to give context so that it raises, raises some urgency. If you took airplanes that seated 200 people and they were all filled to capacity, that would be 130 planes. If 130 planes fell out of the sky today, crashing and every passenger dead, it would be breaking world news 
for weeks to come and known as one of the greatest tragedies of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, 26,000 children will die today from starvation and preventable diseases. Another context would be that being true, if that happened in Broken Arrow, tomorrow there would be no children in Broken Arrow. Your children, my children, gone. Starvation, preventable disease. If we woke up tomorrow and all the children of Broken Arrow were dead, it would be a, a national focus story. It would make international news. People would move in to help us from all over the world. There would be such a heightened concern and a raised urgency because 20, there are no children left in Broken Arrow. Today, 26,000. So we have a global crisis, and that's just one little aspect. One billion people around this world right now do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ presented to them. Locally, there are some major needs. And so what I am saying, and let, let me... Let me give a, a word of testimony. I think for you, I think for me, I think for us, the praise is you passed the test. You came through a season of trouble. And this church, by even the membership of this morning, is not floundering, regressing, dying. It has an edge. It even has a cutting edge. There is life. There is the presence of God. There is the power of God. We are poised to be at our very best. So I call you from this scripture to a radical initiative. It's going to be the global local initiative of 2010. I will spend three to four weeks explaining it in detail so that you can fully embrace this in prayer and then respond out of your heart. And the radical global local initiative is this, to respond right now to urgent spiritual need locally and globally. 26,000 children. I don't know that we can save all of them, but we can save some of them. Amen? We can do something. We can make a difference. And before we get into the details of the opportunity, we've got to start with, are we positioned attitudinally, emotionally, spiritually? Because if you have seen rejection in your life and it's led to insecurity and bitterness, feel that life is unfair if the troubled seasons of your life have rendered you hurt and withdrawn then you'll not be able to respond to the call of God to summon the mercy that's to flow out of the graciousness of God to you that mercy to be summoned will not flow like a river it will hit the layer of bitterness and hurt in your heart and it will never find its way to a child in this community or the world that needs your merciful ministry.